Man. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Nichols, for letting me be part of this service. We are involved in the fundraising aspect, and I, I, I love it because I know that one day I needed it. I'll tell you maybe later tonight, but I, we, were, we were buying property in Ann Arbor. I, I signed a, a purchase agreement on land for $200,000, and I didn't have, I barely had $1,000 to put down as earnest money. I had no idea the bank said they'd loan me 65% of the purchase price, which means I had to have $72,500 in 30 days. And I was telling uh, a friend of mine, I guess, well, actually, he was my assistant pastor at the time, and their dad owned a Toyota dealership and had just passed away and left the dealership to them. They were both raised in Ann Arbor. And I said, I don't know how we're going to do it. He said, I know how you're going to do it. He said, I'm going to give you 20000 and my brother's going to give you 20000 They were twin brothers. He pledged for his brother. I said, well, praise God. That sounds good to me. And then uh, Brother William Nix, uh, he said, Scott, he said, our Christmas, he took up an offering every year to plant churches in Detroit and he called it Christmas Vision and he said our Christmas Vision offering is going to go whatever comes in is going to go to help you buy that property and that came up to 25,000 so now I had 65,000 and I applied for a Christmas for Christ property grant and I applied for 10,000 but they didn't give me 10000 Guess how much they gave me? $7,500 or $7,250. And it didn't come in. You know, they couldn't get it to me as soon as I needed it. So the district forward me, forwarded me the money on the promise of that grant. And uh, the district superintendent had to drive a check down uh, to the closing. And we closed on that property. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. And today there's a $3 million building, seats 500 people on that property. It's the second building they built on there. Christmas for Christ helps. And it matters. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Turn with me if you will. I'm going to try to obey God and your pastor tonight. And uh, he asked me to share my story. And I don't, I'm uncomfortable doing that. A lot of times I don't share a lot. But I want to do the, some of that tonight. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. Acts 13. One through three. I love this passage because it's about, I think, the greatest church in the Bible. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Serene, and Manaen, which had been brought up 
with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. It's a pretty good leadership team, I'd say. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Lord Jesus, help us today, help us tonight. God, speak to us, Lord, speak to us, God. Lord, speak to us through your word, speak to us through your spirit. Speak through my mouth, God, to speak your words, God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, help us, Lord. Bring clarity, God. Give direction, I pray, God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, change destinies tonight, God. Change destinies tonight. I pray in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. This is a great church. I thank you for last year your offering of over $90,000. It was the second highest offering in the nation. And I think you deserve a hand for that. Let's give God some praise for that. Amen. We appreciate that. I, I, I know that this offering is going to exceed that this year. I know that. I know that. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I know that your pastor... Whoa. Did I do that? Uh, I know that your pastor desires for this to be a great church. I know that you desire for this church to be all that it can be. And you are in a great church tonight. That's not the question. The question is, what are you doing to make this church great? Because we are lively stones. And we're built up together to a habitation of the Lord. And so I, I want to talk about being a great church. Proverbs 27 says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to every generation. The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and the herbs of the mountain are gathered. Writer Proverbs said, Hey, better take care of those herds. They won't last if you don't. And just because daddy was the king don't mean Junior's going to be the king. And so uh, great churches do great things, but they must be maintained. Here, here, here's a danger of great churches if we become very comfortable. Don't you love coming to church? You've got a great culture in this church. It's great. Don't you love being a part of it? Amen. Praise God. You've got a culture. Everything's done with excellence. That door, you'd think it was automatic door. Those ushers never miss it, man. They just open it. <laughs> it's awesome. I just want you to know, Brother Nichols, I noticed. Everything's excellent. Uh, when you walk in the door, uh, when you drive into the parking lot, everything's excellent. It's wonderful. A lot of work and planning has come uh, uh, has been done to make sure you're comfortable tonight. 
temperature is comfortable, the lighting is comfortable. You can read the words. You can hear the music. This doesn't happen by accident. Amen. And all of y'all are probably sitting in your same seat you sat in last Sunday. Or as close as you could get. And you, you, you probably going to go out to eat tonight with the same people you went out with last night, last week. And that's good. And you, you have routines that are comfortable for you. you. You park in the same spot out there. And you make the same walk in to the church. And you do the same things. Am I telling the truth? Yeah. And if somebody is sitting on your row, it's a little disconcerting. How am I going to have church uh, if I'm not sitting? I see you, Sister Ladner. You're about the same spot this morning as you were tonight. Uh, they would know from Jackson. I mean, I could, you could just about know, oh, so-and-so is not here because you could just take attendance by their, their spot. My mother said one time, she said, I don't know who that other church is over there. She said, I, she, she had her little church over here, you know, because that's who she sat by. And, and these are all good things. Uh, and God loves you. And God wants you to be comfortable. And God wants you to be safe. And he wants you to be able to raise your family in the church. And he wants you to be able to take your kids to Sunday school and know the teachers. And, and, and it's just a beautiful life that God has prepared. I love church life. I love church life. And it's, it's designed for us to be able to live the way God intended for us to live. This is heaven on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is as close as you get. This is as close as you get. That's why it's so disconcerting when somebody does something in the church that's not right. Because all your guard is down. You wasn't expecting to be stabbed in the back like that. You was expecting it at work. You don't respect it at church, right? And it's a wonderful thing, a church like this, because an established church versus a church plant, and a church plant, when you go into a community and you're trying to start a church, you're saying to people, uh, come help me build a community. Whereas what we're saying here in this church tonight is, Come join our community. Come join us. That's a whole nother ball game. There's a lot of people who want to come join a community, but they don't want to get one started. And so every church planter is trying to get to where you are. So they have a community. Uh, Brother Jackson's wonderful being there. 16 years, you said, you've been there. You're at that point. You're saying, come join our family. It's a relief, isn't it? <laughs> You're not out there beating the streets trying to say, hey, we're, we're building. We're going to be great. <clears throat> you know, we're, we're, we're going to be something one day. <laughs> Come help us. People say, no thanks. <clears throat> it's a tough, tough sell. But what can happen in a church is that you can forget that it's also about other people. 
It's as much about other people tonight as it was the first day it started. It's as much about new people joining as it was when you were trying to build a community. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And if you're going to be a great church and you're going to maintain that greatness, you're going to always have to be doing the master's bidding. We are his body after all. We can't get disconnected from the head. So there always has to be room on your pew for somebody new. Come on. There always has to be room for somebody new. There always has to be room for somebody else to join your group and go out to eat on Sunday night. There always has to be room for new members to join the community, to be celebrated. Come on. It's good to go out to eat on Friday night with people that you've known for a long time. I, I, I was able to deer hunt as a boy with, with men. I never heard a curse word. I never smelled a cigarette being smoked. I never saw a beer being drunk, anything. We, we were men and we hunted and there'd be 50 or 60 men. As a little boy, I'd be watching these godly men have fun, go deer hunting and still be Christians. Wonderful. I don't like the uncomfortable feeling of somebody telling a dirty joke. Hmm. But if you're going to win the lost, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable. I've taken new converts out as a pastor. And them tell a dirty joke. They didn't think it was dirty. They were just kind of, they thought it was funny. And I'm like, my wife and I go and go, hee hee. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Uh, now, oh, isn't that? It looks like it's gonna rain. <laughs> and everything gets all uncomfortable. Then they realize they shouldn't have said it. And then they're like, oh, I'm I'm sorry. It's like, let's move on, move on, move on with the conversation. You know, steak just doesn't taste quite as good. Assistant pastor invited his neighbor over. He told me, he said, hey, I want you all to come over Friday night. We've been inviting our neighbors over. We're trying to win them. So, okay. Well, he, here he comes in. He brings a bottle of wine. He's brought wine for the meal. And he's, I mean, he's happy about it. You know, he's done something, contributed. So, like okay, and <laughs> so he opens the wine, and uh, Brian's wife was pregnant, and his wife was pregnant, and I said, "Well, I don't drink," and Brian said, "Well, I'm not drinking either," <laughs> and, uh, and my wife wasn't drinking, <laughs> thank the Lord, <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, so he said, "Well, I guess I'm the only one drinking," and I said, <laughs> and he proceeded to drink the entire bottle all by himself. <laughs> I've had more pleasant Friday evenings. <laughs> but you've got to be uncomfortable. You, you, you can forget that somebody was uncomfortable when you first came in the church. Somebody discipled you. Somebody befriended you. Oh, hallelujah. 
in every great church there's somebody that they're tired of coming to church by themselves. They're tired of that van having five empty seats. And so they decide, I'm going to bring somebody to church. I'm going to introduce somebody to Jesus. Every great church has an Andrew. You know, when God can just do miraculous things by just the something that doesn't even seem significant if we just obey him. I'll tell you a story of the second church that we started. I tell people I had no intention of starting a bunch of churches. I intended to start one so that I could uh, get that church going so I wouldn't have to work so hard at it. I was looking forward to getting that church to where uh, it could pay its own bills and I could go on and, and build me another FPC of Jackson in Ann Arbor. That, that's what I was trying to do. I had no intention of starting a bunch of churches. Uh, I just wanted to start one. And so about the year, uh, this was about 1997, uh, we were... We were renting, this in the first church, Ann Arbor, we were renting from a church that had a gay pastor. And we had, uh, they had the rainbow flag up. And they had a little plaque over here on the wall that said, We've entered into a covenant of openness and affirmation with members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender communities. And so we'd take that little plaque down, we'd roll up the rainbow flag, we'd pray and have church. And uh, they had Jack Kevorkian. Remember Dr. Death, Jack Kevorkian, some of you? Uh, he wanted to kill somebody in that church and had asked them uh, if he could do an assisted suicide in the church. And they had a big board meeting about it and debated it uh, and decided to give him a compassionate no at this time. They, they were not quite ready. <laughs> Uh, they had been through a lot of turmoil. We, we, they had an interim pastor because their previous pastor had split the church because he had his mistress living in the parsonage with him, him and his wife. And so they had a big church split over it because half the church said it wasn't none of their business. And the other half said, well, he shouldn't have done it in the parsonage. And so it wasn't none of their business, but since it was in the parsonage, it made it their business. And so he was teaching a doctrine called polyfidelity. He was telling them, I have not been unfaithful to my wife. I am faithful to both these women. <laughs> I kid you not. Polyfidelity. Ann Arbor, the most educated community in the world. Can you believe it? You know, you can get so educated, your brain's fall out or so open-minded your brains fall out they say and you can get so smart you don't think a child needs a mama and a daddy you can get so smart you don't think that there's a male and female so in the middle of all of this we got a call from uh and, and i'll tell you we had gone Sometimes uh, it only happened once that I can remember. We went six months without a guest. I still feel the pain about that. 
and you're you're coming to church Wednesday night, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday night, and there's nobody there. And I tell you, I was about to go crazy. And I never will forget a little purple PT cruiser drove up in the parking lot one Wednesday night. Had the grateful, the dancing bears of the Grateful Dead on the back <laughs> window. I didn't care what it had on the back window. I said, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. <laughs> oh, I was so glad to see Joyce. And so we, we, had, we were struggling. And we were probably running about 20, 25 people and trying to dig out a work in that city. And I got a call one day from a man out of Brother Jack Yance's church in Chicago. He said, hey, he said, I've been connected with Peter Lowe. He does these success seminars. And um, what Peter Lowe would do, he, would, he, would, he was a businessman, Christian businessman. And he would uh, book these powerful speakers. That year he had Bob Dole, Barbara Bush, Zig Ziglar, uh, Jonathan Pierce was the entertainment, and he had a couple other speakers, and, and he would invite businessmen, sell tickets, fill up. That year, we, he was filling up the uh, Palace of Auburn Hills where the Pistons played, and Peter Lowe's success seminars. And he said, so, and then Peter, at the end, after the day, he would tell his personal testimony. He was an evangelical Christian. He would tell his personal testimony, how the Lord touched him, and and then he would have tables set up in the concourse and give away a Bible. And if people wanted to know more information about his testimony about Jesus, they would fill out a card. And then, But he needed pastors to follow up on this. So the guy said, would you be willing to follow up on these leads that Peter Lowe gives? I said, absolutely, I will. And so uh, we went to the training meeting and I wound up getting all the cards from that seminar 20 something thousand people were there I think we got two or three thousand cards gave away the Bibles and so I, I divvied him up divvied all the cards up among the metro area and for the Ann Arbor area we got 37 cards so I split them up between myself and my assistant pastor and we'd call up and say hi I'm Scott Sistrunk with Peter Lowe's Success Seminars, and uh, you filled out this card, said you'd like to know more information about what Peter was talking about. We gave you a Bible. Uh, we've started a Bible study in Ann Arbor, a business, uh, what do we call it? Anyway, community Bible study in Ann Arbor, and we're starting on Tuesday. Wondered if you'd be willing to, if you'd like to come, or, or is there just some questions that I can answer for you? So we, we called telemarketing, you know, back in the day. And that's what we were doing. I actually faxed them all uh, an announcement of the Bible study. <laughs> uh, but uh, we had four or five uh, people join the Bible study. But Brian called a lady, and her name was Dorothy Kerr. And he called Dorothy, and he's giving his spiel to Dorothy, and Dorothy says, well, I'm fine. I don't need anything. I go to church, but I appreciate you calling. And 
And they was about to hang up. And Dorothy said, but you know what? She said, my son, uh, he's not doing too good. He's had, got a drug problem. He needs to talk to somebody. Would you be willing to talk to my son? And so she hands the phone to Mike Kirk. And Brian talked to Mike, and he gets a Bible study with Mike. And so they sat down with a Bible study. About the second Bible study, Mike got the Holy Ghost. Amen. He got the Holy Ghost. Repented of his sin. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. We baptized him. Oh, man. We were excited about it. Uh, Mike disappeared for about six weeks and didn't, couldn't contact him, didn't know then, but his brother had died of a drug overdose. The family was in turmoil and finally got connected with Mike, and Mike began to come to church, and then Dorothy began to come to church, and we baptized Dorothy in Jesus' name, and then Mike's sister, adult sister, she came in. She got the Holy Ghost, baptized. Uh, Mike's uh, uh, niece came in, and, and then... Uh, Mike worked at the Olive Garden, and, and, and one Wednesday night, uh, Mike comes in. He's got this very beautiful girl with him, lady with him, and, and she's got on a short skirt. And I'm, I'm, I'm fired up about it. I'm like, devil, you're you trying to get my new convert. You're trying to get him drugged back out into the world, and I'm teaching on Wednesday night Bible study, and, and I'm half mad about it. What am I going to do about it? Get the guy in the church, and now he's with this girl. She wasn't dressed. She was dressed like, well, you know how she was dressed. And so I'm just, I'm just upset about it. And I'm preaching. And normally we did Bible study on Wednesday night. We didn't have any music or anything. And so I'm teaching, and all of a sudden I look back there, and this girl starts crying. Lady. I keep calling her girl. She wasn't a girl. She was a lady. And she, she's crying. She's dabbing her I'm going to have to give an altar call. The Lord's moving on this girl. So, I, you know, it's about, I was only probably about 20 of us there. And I'm communicating with my wife, and I'm looking at her like, <laughs> music, you know, we need some music for altar call. And she goes, okay, so she goes up and starts playing. I, I start giving an altar call, and, I, and here she comes down the aisle, crying. Uh, one of the ladies put a put a coat over so she'd be modest and and would you know she got the Holy Ghost right there she got the Holy Ghost Amen Praise God Praise God Well it's not it's not as simple as that is it So she her story starts coming out She's got four kids She's married and she's having an affair on her husband. Her husband, they're trying to build a house. Her husband hurt his foot, so he he can't. He was laid off work. They're living in a camper, all six of them. And then she starts telling about her dad was a Baptist missionary and abused her and her sisters from the time they could remember. And I said, you know what? We need to baptize you tonight in the name of Jesus. God's going to take care of all of it. I had no idea what I was going to do about all that. We went and baptized her. I said, I'm going to come out. She said, would you come talk to my husband? I've got to confess to him. I'm like, sure. I, that's a tough gig. <laughs> and man, I never will forget driving up on that 
gravel driveway. They were building a big, beautiful house. And I remember having my Bible and my Bible study chart. And I remember stepping out on that gravel and walking up there, having no idea what was about to happen. But I knew one thing. The word converts the soul. The word converts the soul. I'm telling you, what we have is the answer to everything. <laughs> Getting filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, having the record of your sin washed away forever, and ingesting the word of God, eating that book, it'll fix anything that's wrong with anybody. There's no problem too hard for God to solve. Oh, hallelujah. You better believe that. You see, it's not just the culture of this church that's going to change people. You can't just bring people in and expect them just to morph into Christians. The word has to be implanted inside of them and they'll begin to grow. And... I sat down at that table that day, and there was a lot of tears, a lot of pain, and I said, I remember telling them, listen, we can get through all of this if you'll let this book right here be your guide. I'm going to teach it to you, and if you'll obey it, you'll believe it, and you'll do it, God's going to sort out your situation, and they were both Baptists, and and um, uh, Lori and Brad, Brad said, well, I'm not speaking in tongues. He said, I'm not doing that. I, I said, now, Brad, that wasn't a deal. I said, if it's in the Bible, you've got to do it. He said, well, I done looked. It's not in there. I said, but we're going to look again. <laughs> They started coming to church, and one Sunday, I hear the office racket you ever heard. And it, something I'm looking around during worship, and I look back, and there's Brad back in the back blowing on a shofar. I don't even know how he blew the dumb thing. I don't know how he got, but he's blowing on it. Baptist Brad had spoken in tongues, been baptized in Jesus' name, and now he's blowing a shofar back there like an apostolic. Amen. Jewish apostolic, I guess. <laughs> Their four kids got the Holy Ghost. Um, then Mike worked, had a barber in town, and he, he got the Holy Ghost. Started coming to church. And another uh, uh, friend he went to school with, she started coming to church. And then I got a Bible study with another one of his high school friends, Amy and Clark. They came in and got the Holy Ghost, and they're two boys. And before you know it, we had 13 people from a little community called Clinton. Amen. 13 people. Amen. Praise God. Two of them was my biggest tithe payers. 
And I got another Bible study down. Clinton was about 20 minutes from Ann Arbor, 25 minutes. Ann Arbor, university town, Clinton was a bedroom community. You went through 11 miles of cornfields. And then you came to Clinton. And I'm a metro guy. I'm a Detroit guy. God called me to Detroit. And he had called me then. So I was in Ann Arbor, which is a western edge of the Detroit metro area, and I was headed toward the city. And Clinton was about 15 miles west of Ann Arbor. Nowhere near being in the metro area. And I was driving down there one day. I got a Bible study, and it was a, with a horse trainer. The guy was a horse trainer, and I was looking for a barn. Barns don't have very well-placed addresses, okay? And so I'm, I'm driving down these little country roads, and I came back out on Michigan Avenue to get my bearings, and I was at Michigan Avenue, U.S. 12, and U.S. 50. And I stopped at that intersection, and all of a sudden I had a vision. I saw a church, just like God put a church in the middle of that intersection. And then people start walking from every direction of that intersection, north, south, east, west, and they start filling this church up. And I said, God, what are, what are you saying? He said, I'm going to put a church in this community, and people are going to come. I'm going to put a church in Clinton, and people are going to come from all this county, and they're going to come and, and be a part of this church. And I said, but God, Detroit's that way. This is where this is out here in the boondocks, and then the Lord showed me a, a little lady in a rocking chair, rocking in her house in her living room. The smoke was coming up out of her house, and the Lord let me know that smoke was her prayers. And He said, "They're praying for a church." And he said, "I got nobody to see him but you, and you're going." I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All of this developed, and now it's in the year 2000. That story took a couple years to develop all of those people to come in. And we're running, we're averaging 55. Our high attendance had been 74. And we're still renting from this church. And we don't have any property. We've saved up a little money, maybe $15,000. And in Ann Arbor, buildings were going for $300 a square foot. That was the price of real estate. So we didn't have any money. 1998, I'd gone full-time with the help of Christmas for Christ. I was a Christmas for Christ missionary. And so for two years, I got Christmas for Christ. I got my whole three years, brother. I got my Two years of support and my property grant. <laughs> I got all three years, and so I had just gone. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're just barely making it, but we're making progress. And then God says, "Go and start this church." I said, "Lord, what in the world?" I didn't know how we were going to do it. And so I, I start looking for a place to have a community Bible study. That same day that happened to me, my Bible study was scheduled at noon. And my assistant pastor, Brother Brian Jones, he had a business meeting 
scheduled at noon in that same county. He was in Adrian. I was in Clinton. Adrian's the county seat of Lenaway County. And he, he called me that evening about 6 o'clock. And I, I'm just pondering all this stuff. I haven't even told my wife yet what happened to me. And I'm just trying to figure out what all this means. I didn't even feel like I didn't feel like I was a big church planner. I, I didn't even have well, I was scared to death. The next phone call I get, Ann Arbor was gonna fall apart. And then I'd be a failure. You know, church planners live with the aspect of failure every week. And so Brian called me, he said, Pastor, he said, I had something happen to me today I needed to share with you. He said, I was supposed to be in Adrian for a meeting at noon today. And he said, on my way to this meeting, he said, I had the most unusual experience. He said, as I'm driving to the meeting, he said, God spoke to me and told me to stop and pray in a place, specific place that he would show me. He said, I didn't know what to think about it. He said, I kept driving, but I, he said, I knew I heard from God. And so he said, I came in to... He didn't know it at the time, but when you come into Adrian, you come into like a big square, like an old-timey town, and in the middle of that square is a big, beautiful, ornate building. Well, that is the county courthouse and because Adrian is the county seat of Lenaway County. He said, so I stopped in front of this beautiful building there in Adrian, and he said, I prayed. He said, Pastor, he said, I'm telling you, the power of God filled my car. He said, I think God gave us, he said, God gave us spiritual authority over that area. He said, I think God may be wanting us to start a church down there. And I'm just listening. Okay, God, I didn't think I was that hard-headed that you had to do. I'm feeling like Jonah, you know. <laughs> okay, okay, I get it. So I called Brother Nix, and he said, well, sounds like to me you need to start a church. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I went down and started looking for a place to have church. And there was a community center, and next door to the community center was the oldest Methodist church in the state, oldest operating Methodist church in the state. And there were two of the landmark buildings in Clinton. Clinton was only like 2,500 people. And... So I would go into the community center, and she said, oh, you have to go to the city manager. That was the version of a mayor. And talk to him about that if you want to rent here. And so she said, it's his office is right over there. So I got in my car, went across the street, and would you know the mayor was home and, or in his office. He introduced myself, and he said, oh, you want to start a church? He said, well, you know what? I think they're fixing to sell the Methodist church. He said, would you like to talk to the board member in charge over there? Sure, I'll talk to him. So next thing I know, I'm on the phone with the head board member, the Methodist church, and they're trying to sell their church. They had it divided into three parcels. They had a little church there. I don't know why I'm telling you all this stuff. I'm telling you, I'm just doing, I'm just telling you. Little church there, uh, educational building, 12,000 square feet behind it, and a parking lot downtown that the city, all you, you could, it was a city, we owned, the church owned it, but the city used it for people to park and walk around. And so, 
the church, they wanted $54,000 for the church. Seated 125 people and had a commercial kitchen in the basement and fellowship hall. I said, I'll take two. <laughs> but I had Brother Nix come down, look, and he says, Scott, we need to buy the whole thing. Well, they were asking 245000 for the whole thing. I said, Brother Nix, I got faith for 54000 but I don't have faith for 245000 And uh, he said, don't worry about it. He said, I got the faith for it. And he said, we're going to buy this church. We're going to sign on the note. We came up with half the down payment. Brother Nix came up with half the down payment. I went to the board meeting, Brother Nichols, and I said, y'all are buying this building. I said, I'm not going to stay awake one night worrying about how to pay this payment. I said, this is your bill. <laughs> I said, if you want to buy this church, I've got my hands full with Ann Arbor. I am not worried about how to pay for this church. <laughs> and they said, okay, we'll worry about how to pay for the church. Well, uh, our first service, um, we had a team from Ypsilanti come. Brother Charles Robinette brought, he was the youth pastor at the time. He brought their youth group to sing and to play we had about brother jerry jones preached i think we had 70 or 80 there the next wednesday night we had we started having sunday and wednesday night church april 2nd year 2000 that next wednesday night i said we're going to have bible study i pulled up in the parking lot church started at seven and at 6 30 that little lady i saw in that vision sitting in her car <laughs> waiting on us to get there I think the next week we had 45 people in church. Three years later, we were averaging 81 and $150,000 a year income. We never missed a payment on that church. I'm telling you, when God decides there's going to be a church, He's the church planner. He said, Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I thank God for a great church that stood behind a church planter. I said, I thank God for a great church that stood behind a church planter. One of the greatest churches, as I mentioned before in the scripture, was Antioch. Antioch was started by the Jerusalem church. Of course, the Jerusalem church was the first church. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, the church was born. They had to wait. They tarried. They waited. Don't you wish you'd been there in that first church? They immediately gathered the people together, started building community, and you know the story. They met house to house, and they broke bread together, and they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. But persecution came to the Jerusalem church. 
maybe the persecution came to scatter the Jerusalem church. We don't know. But there wasn't a lot of evangelization from the Jerusalem church in the beginning. They were enjoying their newfound power. But Jesus had told them, you shall receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So some of the disciples had been persecuted after the stoning of Stephen. And some men had been preaching. Acts chapter 11, believers from Cyprus and Serene began to preach. Many people believed and turned to the Lord. Acts chapter 11, verse 21. And when news reached Jerusalem about these converts... The church leaders at Jerusalem sent Barnabas. One thing about great churches is they send their best leaders. I said one thing about great churches is they send their best leaders. You can't be stingy with your leaders. Barnabas was a son of encouragement. There's no doubt he was in charge of uh congregational care people could pick up the phone and call Barnabas anytime they wanted to he was always there to visit them in the hospital make them feel comfortable he was solving their problems but the elders in the Jerusalem church said he's the most trusted man here let's send him and they sent Barnabas and Barnabas came and he joined in the ministry there and and then Barnabas said, this is getting too big for me. I, I've got to go get Paul. And so Barnabas went and got Paul. And so Barnabas and Paul began uh, to, to minister in the church in Antioch. And, and the Antioch church began to grow. And in, they, the five-fold ministry began to grow. And Agabus came and prophesied to this church. This church began to grow and be strong and and they took up an offering Agabus prophesied there's going to be a drought in Jerusalem and they said they didn't go send people to test it out they didn't have the weather app on their iPhone they they just the, the 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 man of God said there's going to be a drought and so they took up an offering they passed out their CFC envelopes and they they took them and 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 they sent the offering back to the mother church and then we see other elders had formed and leadership had formed. In Acts chapter 13, the Holy Ghost moves in on a service. It says, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work wherein to I have called them. And it was this Antioch church that sent the first missionaries to the Gentiles. I had it. Ann Arbor was at 55, year 2000. I told you by 2003, the Clinton Church, whom we sent 13 people out of the Ann Arbor Church and two top tithe payers. Over the next three years, we lost 38 more people in Ann Arbor. And at the end of 2003, Ann Arbor was doing good to have 35 in church. And I was the same person. I was pastoring both those churches. 
I'd go to Clinton in the morning, and there'd be new people, people getting the Holy Ghost, miracles happening, and I would preach the same sermon in Ann Arbor. And one day, it was so dead, and it was so dead, and then we had afternoon service in Ann Arbor one Sunday, and, and I'm tired, and, and, and my kids are loading up the instruments, and, and I, I come in, and... and it was in Michigan, and we had glass walls on both sides of the building, and the sun was shining in. People had eaten lunch. Brother Joe Morris worked midnights. So that was his nap time anyway. Brother Turner had sleep apnea, so he had a hard time staying awake. And I looked back there, and those two always slept in church, so that didn't bother me. They, they slept every afternoon. I don't even know if they ever even heard the gospel or not. But... Uh, <laughs> But I look over there, and there's Paul Kennedy back there. He's done fell asleep. And then the last straw, my assistant pastor, Brother Tim Richmond, he, he was a young man. He, of course, he, he worked hard. He probably worked midnight that night. And now he's asleep. I just I said, hey! I said, everybody wake up. Sister Turner, get Al up. Get, I am not that bad of a preacher. <laughs> Well, laugh to keep from crying. And I, but Brother Eli Hernandez had come by. And he, he had preached at both churches. Brother Tecla Marion came by. He, we had to come to both churches. And he told me, driving around one day, he said, this church, talking about Clinton, this church make you laugh, he said. He said, but this church make you cry. He said, mm, big devils, big devils. He prayed, God, he'd walk around that altar and, God, I rebuke of the devil. I rebuke of the devil. I rebuke of the devil. It was a struggle. Brother Eli Hernandez came by one day and he prophesied. He said, Clinton shall be a strong son. Stands in the door for its mother. We started a daughter work out of the Clinton church. Thirteen more people that we won from a old town called Dundee. And I had the team gather, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. Didn't know. I just knew God was doing things, and he was, but he wasn't doing things where I wanted him to do them. I wanted him to do it in Ann Arbor. And so I, I turned the church over to Brother Richmond, the Clinton church, and the daughter work at Dundee, and went back to Ann Arbor to pour all of our efforts and energies into that church. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I got a clock up here. I've been talking for 51 minutes. I'm not going to talk all night. Okay, I'm, I'm going to shut it down at some point. So, But that was August of 2003. I had breakfast with Brother Brian Jones, who was my youth pastor there in, in uh, Ann Arbor. And I, not my youth pastor, my assistant pastor. And 
So we need to get a strategy. We, I'm back. He'd been telling me, Pastor, you got to let that church go. We're dying over here in Ann Arbor. He was, Pastor, Tim's ready. He's ready. He can do it. And I finally listened to him. Got a release from the Lord. And so I'm sitting at Panera Bread. I could tell you, I could take you to the booth I was, we were sitting in. We had a 7 o'clock meeting for breakfast. I didn't have a plan, but it was only September, you know. I mean, you kick off your plans January 1st, right? So, you, so that's a rule. So, you know, I, I'm like, we got, we got to get a plan so we can kick it off in January. And so I, I didn't really have a plan, but so we were meeting and strategizing. And so we had talked, and it was about to end the meeting, and Brian had a legal pad set beside him on the table. And he said, Pastor, I, I've been writing a few things down. I got some few thoughts on something we might could do. He said, you mind if I share it? I said, sure, go ahead. I, I was looking for anything, you know. And so he starts reading off this legal pad. And all of a sudden I realized that's the plan. That's the plan. And while he's talking, I said, okay, God, why didn't you give me the plan? Why'd you give it to him? And the Lord said, because you're going to turn this church over to him. And you're going to go start more churches. That's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to pastor a big church and send other poor unsuspecting souls out to plant new churches. That's what I wanted to do. My model was T.L. Crab. He sent people everywhere. I was trying to be T.L. Crab. So I'm sitting there. He's talking, and I'm trying to listen. But I'm wondering, how am I going to feed my family? I was making a, a good salary by this time. Both of those churches, uh, finances were were good. Brother Richmond had agreed. They had, they had been splitting my salary. And so when I turned the church over to Brother Richmond, he agreed for one year to continue to pay their half of my salary till we could get Ann Arbor built back up. Because previously, Ann Arbor was paying all my salary. And, and so now I'm thinking, man, how am I going to make a living? And, you know, God takes care of you. you got to follow God's call. You see, we got cultural restraints. But did they come from God or did they come from how we've been raised? Did they come from our preconceived notions or did they come from God? We're not going to win this world. We're not going to win Louisville with preconceived notions. If that was the case, we'd have already run Louisville. God's got to give us a plan. God's got to speak to us. It's going to look like what God wants. It's up to us to hear and obey. We don't have the strategy. God has the strategy. I'm, I'm thankful for a church in this case, 
I'm talking about three churches. I'm talking about Brother Nix in Ypsilanti, that church. I'm talking about Ann Arbor, that church. I, I, I will tell you, in, in the middle of all of that, wonderful core people at Ann Arbor. We didn't have a bunch of people, but we had some tough ones. About 40 of them built a $1.2 million building. That's how tough they were. Solid people. And we agreed. Now, I had to have a church vote to pay, to take money out of our building fund to help pay for another building. They had to agree to that because they'd given the money. And we had saved up for another, I think we had six or seven thousand dollars in a building fund. We were just trying to save a little bit as we could. And I go to church one day and there was a guy who was Barry Moody. Barry Moody went up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, Escanaba. I had kind of talked him into it a little bit. So I took him on a vision trip up there, you know, and I'm driving him around. It was a beautiful time of year. It was about September. The leaves were beautiful. We had a little Indian summer going on, and they had already tied sticks on the speed limit signs and things so they could find them when the snow came. He asked me what those sticks were, and I said, oh, don't worry about those sticks. <laughs> it was beautiful, right on Lake Superior. <laughs> he didn't know that there would be trucks driving out on Lake Superior in just a few <laughs> weeks. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, he... Uh, I was praying one day, and the Lord said, they were living in the basement of that church. Well, they had, and, and it had hot water heat. Y'all don't, they didn't know that it, when it's 30 below and you open the door, all that cold air is coming down to the basement, and it's going to be cold all day. And there was no way they were going to be able to heat that basement. had two girls, and the Lord said, you need to get them out of this basement. He said, I want you to rent them a house pay the security deposit and pay three months rent on it. Well, guess how much that was? About $6,000. Right, the only way I could pay that, Lord, is to take the money out of our building fund that we've got in there, and I'm going to have to go talk to the church again. And the Lord spoke, and he said, if you think you're going to build a church in Ann Arbor out of your checkbook, he said, you're crazy. He said, you're going to have to build it out of my checkbook. Yeah. He said, if you'll bake me a cake, he said, if you'll bake me a cake, I'll give you a barrel of meal and a cruise of oil that will never run dry. Oh. Come on, folks. This thing works. God is true. Let every man be a liar. You can obey God no matter how it looks and how it seems tell you, I told you the story already how God gave us the property we never had to take up another offering, we were able that land, just a miracle story just a miracle story how there was no sand there, they couldn't build anything on that land, we bought that land and sent a guy out there had the purchase agreement, sent a guy out there with, a, with, with, with equipment and the second hole he dug found enough sand to build a thousand seat auditorium on that property 
property was immediately worth a million dollars. Immediately worth a million dollars. Mm, you can do this thing. God sent me here to tell you, Brother Nichols, you can do everything he's put in your heart. Everything he's put in your heart, you can do it. He's got the resources. He's got the people. He's got everything that you need. Uh, the, the dream is not uh, can be accomplished. Uh, your, your pastor is leading you in the right way. Uh, this is a great church. You've got a great responsibility. You're Antioch to Louisville. I said you're Antioch to Louisville. Come on, let's stand together. God's speaking to somebody to be the giver. In every great church, there's an Andrew, but there's also that little widow woman that had those two mites. Two mites. Think about it. She looked all over her house. That's all she had. If she didn't know she was poor before she went to church, she sure knew it after she tried to find an offering. She turned over everything she could, and she found two mites, and you know what? She decided to give them both. She could have kept one for herself and nobody would have said anything about it. But she didn't just find one. She had two and she gave both of them. God's going to bless somebody to be a giver in this church. God's going to pour in resources to this church. Everything about church planning is expensive. Everything about it is expensive. You don't have the money right now, but you're going to get it. I said you're going to get it because God wants you to do his work. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's raising up young men right here and young women. I'm looking at church planners right here. Oh. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'll tell you, I'm, I was, I'll, let me tell you this. Charles Robinette was 13 years old when his family moved back from Chicago. His mom and daddy got saved in the Ypsilanti church and backslidden and taken the, the family to Chicago. And they got so down and so broke, they called Brother Nick. Brother Nick said, get back to Ypsilanti. And here, here they come. Stacy Robinette's mother had been through a horrible divorce. Stacy was 11 years old, kept trying to sneak into the youth group. She wanted to be part of the youth group so bad. And you couldn't be part of the youth group until you was 12. She'd sneak into prayer meeting. And I'd look over there, and there she was in the youth prayer meeting. And I wanted to be aggravated about it. But she's over there sobbing and weeping and interceding. I just let her stay. They stayed over at our house because Stacy did, especially. Home life wasn't that great. My wife taught her how to cook and how to clean. Brother Robinette and Stacy, I mean, when I tell you, Charles Robinette fell in love with Stacy Vaughn at the time. I mean, 
they were 16 years old and wanting to get married. I mean, they were, they were in love. We're like, no. You are not old enough. And the day, don't tell Brother Robinette I told you this if he ever comes back. Brother, Brother Charles Robinette, the day he turned 18, he joined the military. And he decided he was going to marry Stacy before he went overseas. He was backslid. Now, he didn't call himself backslid, but he was. He was in rebellion to me and Brother Nix. Brother Nix was so mad at him, he wouldn't even marry Stacy. Brother, I had to marry him. He says, Scott, you marry him. I'm not having nothing to do with it. And I married him. Heather Soto was in the youth group, Heather Baker at the time. I, I was going to Africa. I did a video for their graduation. I was their teacher in school. But something was put in those kids. Something was put in those kids. Brother Enos. Brother Nick's called Brother Enos, missionary over in Germany. And when Charles and Stacy got off of that, let me tell you, he wasn't thinking about being a preacher at the time. When he stepped off that plane, there was Brother Enos. Brother Enos said, hi. My name is, I forget his first name, Enos. He said, I hear you're running from God. And he said, I'm here to stop you. Next thing we know, Charles Robinette has a preacher's license. And he's preaching. God's going to raise up missionaries this church God's going to raise us are you going to be part of it I said are you going to be part of it you better get on board because great things are about to happen here I'm telling you, things are about to happen out of a greater faith church that's going to be legend. I said it's going to be legend. People are going to look back how you did it. You're going to say, we just obeyed God. We just let it flow. We just believed God. There's going to be some acts of faith around here. Because you're never going to have the millions of dollars in the bank to get God's work done. He won't have it that way. You'll always feel like you can't do it. That's the way God wants it. He won't give his glory to another. I said he won't give his glory to another. Your pastor's always going to be pushing you to the edge. I grew up in a church where half the people was mad at the pastor a lot of times because he was pouring all our money into a Bible school. Well, let me tell you something. I work at World Headquarters with a bunch of those people he trained in Bible school. David Bernard, Daryl Johns, Bruce Howell, Scott Sistrunk. Doing something. You're going to be doing something. It's not all about your comfort. 
I love you. I want you to be comfortable. But it's not all about your comfort. It's about reaching the world. I said it's about reaching the world. It's about missionaries. It's about missionaries. This church exists to send missionaries. Schools exist to train missionaries. Commerce exists to send missionaries. The economy exists to fund missionaries. It's all about sending missionaries. Missionaries to Louisville. Missionaries to Jefferson City. Missionaries to your school, to your high school. Missionaries to Africa, missionaries to Europe, missionaries to South America. It's all about reaching the world. God's going to take over the world. I said God's going to take over the world. We're in an ever-expanding kingdom. An ever-expanding kingdom. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. It's predestined. It's foreordained. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, praise God. Praise God. I don't know how to end it except to invite you to get on board with God. You are on board. Your giving tells me you're on board. Your prayer here is beautiful. But you know what? You need to recertify that dedication and commitment because you know what you're going to run into some obstacles you're going to run into some failures there's going to be some outreach efforts that don't work out can't you hear Paul saying Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world there's a prophecy came right before I started the church in Ann Arbor I gave it was a message in tongues and I gave the interpretation and when I got done brother Nick said brother sis trunk you just prophesied to yourself and the Lord said you think you're going to ride in and be victorious you're going to ride in on a white horse and be a conquering hero he said no I say to you that you are my elite soldiers you will be on the front line and you will take fire and you will be wounded and you will suffer. But I will give you the victory. And it is I that will take the credit for it. And it is I that will return on the white horse. And be glorified as the king of kings. Nobody's going to take credit for what God's doing. What a privilege to be used by God. What a privilege to be used by God. Is there anybody here that wants to be used by God? 
Is there anybody here that wants to be a world changer? Is there anybody here that says, God, I'll do anything? God, I don't care about a career. I don't care about being an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. If that's what you want me to be, I'll do it. But God, it'll be to bring glory to your kingdom. and It'll be to be a blessing to your kingdom. Don't you dare sell your soul to corporate America. Don't you dare sell your soul to education. Don't you dare. All those things are servants of the kingdom of God. Oh, in the expansion. Come on, let that out. Let the spirit flow right now. Come on, somebody pray in the Holy Ghost right now. This whole night's been prophetic. You're living in the prophetic right now. Come on, embrace it. God's speaking right now. His voice is speaking right now. Visions are being given right now. God's speaking right now. If you lack direction, come up to the front. Throw your hands up in there. God's going to give you direction tonight. Oh, <laughs> oh, God, let something be birthed in this church tonight. Let something be birthed in this church tonight. Let something be birthed in this church. Come on, Zion, travail. Come on, Zion, travail. 